This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're listening to The Property Show on The Morning Run, and I'm Philip C. Joining me on the show today is Darian Bradshaw, Executive Director of Private Office and Residential Project Marketing from One Global Property Services, as we reflect on how Australia's property market has performed in 2022. Hi, Darian. Glad to have you back again on the show. Australia's property market has been incredibly turbulent, isn't it? I mean, I've never seen the declines in decades. Can you just help us do a recap of how turbulent 2022 was? Uh, well, it was... It all started very well. I mean, I've just been back in Australia for the Christmas period, which I do every year. You know, if I go back to 2021, obviously everyone was was doing uh, high fives down the street and celebrating, you mm. know, the strong growth during COVID, which was somewhere between 25 to 75 percent, depending on where you were, you know, obviously where you where you owned a property. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we we had an accelerate. You know, we have basically eight consecutive um, interest rate. Um, increases. So we had 300 basis point um, increases, which started in April 2022, which was also the peak of the the market. So I think the biggest thing really was, you know, the the you know the inflation kick in, you know, with all the free money that was handed out from COVID, and that that really hit Australia very badly. Um, and that was largely because of floods as well and higher electricity prices, which was really what was driving inflation and property prices. You know, obviously, it had a very strong run during COVID. But it was, you know, as always, we sit here at the beginning of the year and, you know, we'll talk about probably where the market might go. But at the beginning of last year, all the major um, banking economists, Westpac, ANZ, Commonwealth, predicted a price increase in 2022 of 7%. And in the end, actually, they weren't that far off. Uh, CoreLogic um, is one of the major groups in Australia who correlates all the all the data and sends out reports and they've got their latest report, which has just come out yesterday. So good timing for your audience. And they're saying actually that dwelling values fell about 5.3% year on year. Uh, and in fact, in 1.1% in December. So overall combined capital cities sunk 6.9% over the entire year. But many, many places in Australia are still well up um, on the COVID uh, rally. Yeah, when I hear you, it seems like um, it's been uneven, right, the development for 2022. Help us pass out which segments have been resilient and which ones have been under a lot of pressure there. Yeah, look, I, like always, the, the locations which best are the ones where, you know, which are the most affluent or the most unique or where there's the least amount of supply. But I, I guess if you just look at it, the capital cities, Perth and Adelaide were definitely the standouts. So if I if I look at the, the latest information, Adelaide, despite increases last year in the end of, say, 10 to 20 percent, and, it, and it's, I have to say generically because, you know, Australia is such a big country with so many big, you know, there's seven major capital cities. Mm. Um, you know, Adelaide still ended up 13, sorry, 10.1 percent for the year, and Perth also was was also slightly up. And I think for both of those cities there, you know, the supply side is, is far less, and I think the yields, you know, if you're an investor, are quite high because of that as as well. So that's what really helped. Those. And, and I think also the afford, affordability factor. In fact, the, the Gold Coast, you know, there's been a lot of domestic 
relocation of people during COVID um, who haven't gone back to Melbourne and Sydney, which really drove our prices, you know, 25, 30% on the Gold Coast. And those those gains haven't been wiped out, you know, since April last year. But, you know, those are probably three locations which have probably fared the best. And that's why I was quite keen, you know, you touched on it just now, affordability being the key question. And the pandemic has really upended and shifted how, you know, people have moved and thought about where they live and work going forward. Where do we stand now in terms of affordability? Because before the pandemic, I mean, Australian property prices were always viewed as not affordable. And I wonder for a first time how Mumbai in Australia, how difficult is it to enter the property market now then? Look, the, the key thing to remember is that um, for your for the, for your audience um, or listeners is that if you're a foreign national buying into Australia, you have to buy a brand new property. So, you know, if we talk about first home buyers um, in Australia, there is a number of incentives like there is across the broad base of countries from, from local governments. So in Australia, first home buyers still get a, you know, they get a, a government grant to get onto the to the property ladder if they're buying the first time and under a certain value. So they are helped by the government, um, you know, through that process. But in terms of affordability, of course, if if prices continue to go up, it means that deposit has to be be greater. And I think really, um, you know, there's two there's two sides to the equation. One is if you're already in the market and your prices your price and you've got the advantage of that price increase, then obviously when you're looking at what affordability means, it's really assessed on what you've got in terms of money in the bank and, and the existing asset that you have if, it, if we're just talking about real estate. The big change, of course, is with the eight consecutive interest rate hikes, which is really significant over such a short period. And I think that's the greatest rate of increase in 30 years in interest rates. It means that that obviously your cost to hold that property has gone up. So if you're entering the market, whether you're, you know, you know, someone who's sitting in KL in Malaysia thinking about what their options are, sure, interest rates have gone up and, and prices have declined. It's really thinking about, you know, taking all that into context. But if you're but if you are trying to jump onto the property ladder, of course, you've got to weigh up. Is the price decline worth more to you than what it's going to cost you to enter mm. the market at that price decline? And that's what everyone's talking about at the moment. What's your advice then for people who are now interested to purchase property in Australia because they've seen some moderation take place there in terms of financing then in view that interest rates have risen so much as you said just now eight times and there's a bit of an expectation that it might increase further next year. So what's your advice then to prospective property buyers in terms of their financing going forward then? Yeah. Look, the first thing on the financing front, the banks have become much more competitive in terms of fighting against each other um, in a really competitive market. You know, so there's still very, you know, there is a very low rate of defaults in Australia. The stress test, which the banks are forced to do by the by the federal government, has really indicated that most households are, you know, more than capable of, of, of um, managing that increase in costs. I mean, as just as an example, households budgets, um, you know, if we look at this year, 35% of Australians who have mortgages will go from a fixed rate to a variable rate. So there's a strong chance that that might mean that they may be paying three or 4% more in terms of the interest rate that they're paying. So that that's a significant, uh, you know, and that's been stress test. So it's, it's felt that, um, as, a, as I mentioned, that you know, most of the, the owners uh, probably are still sitting on positive equity. So we don't see, you know, any kind of major um, event or tipping point at this point in time where, you know, you're going to you're going to see a huge increase in listings. But what, what we will see, in, uh, you know, in terms of the major newspapers um, uh, and economists are, are reporting is that we probably will see the top of the cycle this year, maybe up to 3.8%. In fact, 
you know, there's 34 leading economists in Australia who have basically said that they think the first rate cut will be in March 2024, but one third also one third expect that that cut will come this year. So the the second piece of news which seems to be pretty strong is that if we don't get above 3.8% in terms of interest rates, we'll avoid a recession which might come at 4%. And there hasn't been a recession in Australia for many, many years. Um, and we think that, that the general consensus is that Australia won't go into recession, uh, that the the economy is is well well placed to manage um, the interest rates which have been coming online. And then I think if, if you're looking at overseas interest in in things like commodities in Australia, you know, the China is obviously opening up. So demand for commodities continued to be reasonably um, strong. And the Aussie dollar is against a lot of major currencies, you know, is is relatively weak right now. So at the moment, the Aussie dollar is trading at, you know, just under 70 cents to the US dollar. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a 10 year, over 10 years, that's a 40% saving. Unfortunately for the, for the Malaysian ringgit, it seems to be pretty, you know, if I look over 10 years, five and sort of three, three years to the Malaysian ringgit, it's, you know, it still sort of seems to be pretty consistently around, around the same level. I think for the, for your, for the, for people who are interested um, from your, from your audience in buying in Australia, a really important thing to note is that the rental markets have become super tight because there's been, um, you know, a huge increase in costs to build because construction costs went up so significantly during COVID and also, um, you know, investors and owner occupiers spend so much money. So therefore it means that if you do buy a property, um, you know, we are seeing, um, you know, vacancy rates of under point. One percent and and yields, you know, depending on which city you buy in, of anywhere between, you know, Sydney generally, if you're buying the most affluent areas, might be three three and a half percent. But we have seen locations in Sydney where you can get above four, which is almost unheard of. But in places like Brisbane and Perth, I mean, five five and six percent isn't uncommon to hear. And you know, we've we've even heard stories about you know, someone buying a property and having, you know, 50 to 100 viewings of that property when yeah. it's completed. Yeah, it's, 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 so it's amazing. All right, and we're going to take a short break for messages and come back as we shift the conversation to the outlook in 2023. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. and with me today is Darian Batshaw, Executive Director of Private Office and Residential Project Marketing from One Global Property Services, as we reflect on how Australia's property market has performed in 2022. So Darren, in the first half, our conversation was focused on 2022. I have to say, I'm listening to you, it sounds like the recovery is very patchy um, and, and that actually that it's relatively robust still, even despite during these difficult times and high interest rate environments going forward. Where do you see 2023 to be like then? Um, I mean, when I hear you, it seems like we Australia will avoid a recession. Do we end up going back to the same trajectory pre-pandemic then? Yeah, I, I think the, the the key thing is next year, or, sorry, this year, it's all about just realising where the top of the interest rate market will be. Um, and as we get to the top of the interest rate cycle, if it is this year, you know, I think as we get close to that, there will be the lowest amount of listings on the market um, and supply. Because, so transaction volumes are very, very low at the moment. But if interest rates continue to go up, probably that will force, that may force people, you know, current owners to start to sell. And, you know, that will increase the amount of listings, maybe transaction volumes. And, and you know, that may lead further price decreases. But interestingly, if we do get to the top of the um, price, Hot interest rate cycle and come out the other end, and the government does start, you know, the Reserve Bank of Australia starts cutting interest rates. Then I think probably what we'll find is that 
prices, if they have gone down, depending on which city we're talking about, and obviously there has been wide price decreases, you probably see that that will change very quickly. So that's that's the. I think that 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 will be the number one discussion yeah. point um, um, this year. Um, you know, another thing which is really worth talking about is you know this low supply level coming into the market. So if you're a developer and you've purchased a site, your construction cost costs have gone up significantly, and you say bought a site which is in a lower North Shore where you might be able to build 50 to 100 apartments, but then so your costs have gone up since you purchased the site, and then you know, there's a lot of talk about price depression. It means that your your margins are, you know, your margins are squeezed. So you've got to make a real decision before right. you launch the project what the prices are going to be because the worst case scenario for a developer is you launch at a certain price, you don't get enough sales um, or the, the number of sales that you launch within a certain time frame so you can start construction because then, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen is you have to lower prices to get the number of sales across yeah. the line construction finance so you know any we think that you know for, for investors or um, buyers this year especially overseas buyers who are limited to buying off plan if they don't have australian residency any new big launches or any type of new launches which are in you know affluent or well-regarded locations in the major capital cities and most of the money goes into melbourne sydney brisbane and perth mm. um or, or, or areas where there is major infrastructure changes, like, for example, in Sydney, you've got Eastern Creek, which which is really coming along. You know, they started building that runway. There's a lot of new train infrastructure going in. Um, if you can find locations which are which are along those new infrastructure projects associated with the um, airport, you know, we still think that if you combine those types of, of, of projects when they're launching um, you know, early on, we still think that you could still see some really good price growth, but you've got to really weigh up the risks versus obviously where the interest rate cycle is. And and as always, if you are any buyer, you need to make sure you're buying from only the best developers, whether they're public listed or really good mm. uh, local developers with a long track record. I, I always think that that is the most important thing for any um, buyer, especially if you're, you know, buying from overseas, because you've got to, you've got to be able to trust that We've got the developers trying to see you off the plan, and then nice computer-generated images is really what they will deliver. And, and if and yeah. if a developer has a really good track record, um, you know we can see that that will really happen. And look, there's a lot of money going, you know, at a corporate or commercial level from from again major institutions and and governments in in Asia, including Malaysia, GIC, and Singapore is is currently the biggest investor of Australian real estate, both direct and real estate. Um, funds in Australia from Asia taking over China over the last two to three years. And, you know, we're talking many billions of dollars across a number of different asset classes. So, you know, we're talking about residential markets. You know, help me understand then, is there any distinction uh, or, or demand profile for commercial and industrial markets then? Look, I think, look, you know, the, the business that I'm part of, One Global Australia, you know, my, we, we've really been, you know, we're really concentrating on that residential sector and because we're concentrating on overseas buyers, we're really concentrating on projects um, which are attractive, um, you know, and, and, and off the plan because, you know, obviously it's important that, um, you know, so commercial, so first thing I'd say about commercial is, um, you know, commercial strata, because you know, we're dealing with mum and dad investors, et cetera, versus institutional buyers. So, look, it, it really comes down to, and, and there's been some real strength in in the commercial, uh, I guess the strata commercial and even strata industrial 
you know, even in even in Hong Kong, I was there just you know leading into Christmas, and you know you can get some pretty good yields um, in those two sectors in Strata because we're selling Strata residential. Um, but it seems to me a lot of the focus is if you're buying into Strata commercial or, or industrial, um, you know the it, it's always I think harder to find a tenant or you know that's the first thing your yields are very questionable but it always seems to me that one of the end goals always is a zoning change and that certainly isn't the same for institutional um, money which is chasing deals for example in Australia so look we're really concentrating on the on the residential piece and as I indicated look the yields are really strong at the moment and and probably at, at multi-decade highs in some cities so again Perth Perth uh, and Brisbane, you know, to get five or six percent yields is 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 reasonably significant, and that's on long-term rental yields versus short-term. You know, say for example, if you're renting out a property on a short-term stay, where you might even get above six percent, which is very strong for Australia. Right. Is there a big difference then between new developments and existing developments? Because you talked about the higher construction costs that comes with it. Are there big yield differentials between an existing property versus, you know, buying a brand spanking new development? Look, I mean, that, that really comes down to a specific projects and locations. So that's really a difficult one to answer. Of course, when you're buying into a brand new project, the developer that is is obviously, you know, looking for the highest and best use and extracting the best value they can out of that site, you know, because it's a long journey between actually lining up purchasing the site, getting the planning approval, which can take, you know, in some locations two or three years sometimes, you know, it can be really, really problematic, even if you've bought a site with planning in place. And then, you know, obviously identifying what the, the buyer appetite is for and making sure you get it right. So if, if you're able to deliver what the, the end buyer wants, then of course that's probably going to be twofold then. And that, you know, especially on the rental front is if you deliver the right project in the right location at the right price, then probably the yield is going to be better than which, something which maybe was built 10 years ago, which which maybe is is becoming obsolete. And, you know, obviously in places like Singapore and, you know, no doubt Malaysia and certainly Hong Kong, um, you know, this whole on block thing where, you know, some of these older blocks which are no longer desirable, but where the land value is still significant, we're still we're definitely seeing a mop up of sites, especially you know, especially in Sydney where property values are so high, where, you know, there are I, I have heard and spoken to developers, um, I can think of one in Milson's point in particular where you know, over 150, 200 owners of small, low-rise red brick, for anyone who knows Sydney, low brick red apartment blocks have, have been mopped up across um, multiple buildings. Um, and the idea is that the existing, the existing owners do very well, but, you know, the end view is probably what the developers purchase. They'll be out of this extractive value in the end, which is probably two or three times higher than what they bought it for in terms of the end user. Mm. And, and last question. China reopening is that going to affect property markets in Australia? Like what oh, they did? Yeah, that's right. Look, I think the first, the first, you know, I've read a few different things about this. The first, the first wave of, the first two waves of buying will be firstly uh, ch- Chinese uh, mainlanders who actually already have Australian residency, and I think where they'll their interests will be probably focused on family homes, which are not apartments of the plan. Although, mm-hmm. although the China, the Chinese main, you know, the this is a very broad generalisation, but generally speaking, the Chinese buyers have been interested in houses, 
or brand new apartments, not 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 secondary secondhand apartments. So, new apartments, a lot of the time. So, if you if you already have your your residency, you know that could. It just depends on obviously the affluence of the the person who's buying. But you know some of the the biggest trophy homes in Australia have been purchased by Chinese mainlanders. But there's no doubt with the borders opening and and um, Chinese. Mi- Flying down to Australia, um, on a, especially for a long-term basis, it's definitely going to be a spike in transaction volumes. And for apartments, I think what you'll find is, especially from the education side, there's already a huge increase in in students which have been coming to Australia. Um, migration is is migration averaged two hundred and sort of forty thousand a year in two thousand and eighteen, and slumped to negative 40,000 in 2022. It's forecast to be above 225,000 again this year. And that, that a lot of that will be made up of Chinese university students. And they tend to really dominate Melbourne and Sydney more than, you know, they it, obviously it spills into other cities as well. But I think Melbourne and Sydney will see a uh, huge advantage uh, in terms of real estate demand, um, both for, for rentals and for, for, for purchasing. So I think it's going to have a really a really big impact. It may take three to six months for the transaction volumes uh, to show up, but I, I think can only be very positive news for the Australian real estate market. That's all the time for today's property show. Thanks for being on the show, Darian. That was Darian Bradshaw, Executive Director from One Global Property Services on Australia's property market. I'm Philip C. signing off for the morning run. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.